Hello out there to whoever's listening, if anyone's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this fifth sermon from our fall-winter 2019 sermon series on this journey of becoming that we are on as a congregation, uh, the journey of becoming a more fully a Matthew 25 congregation. This sermon is entitled, A New Season, Loving the Least. I invite you now to enjoy and to become centered by a time of quiet and stillness. Okay, what I share for <clears throat> your consideration and imagination today is in response to the third of the three parables of Jesus from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. This is the parable of the sheep and goats. As Jesus tells it, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. We are grateful for how God uses this scripture to shape, inspire, and to call us. Now in this episode, we continue our series of reflections on the connected uh, series of stories and parables that Jesus tells um, which are found in the 23rd through 25th chapters of Matthew's Gospel, starting with his parable proclamation that the stones of the temple will be thrown down, the religion of love for God and neighbor that will replace it, the parable of the servants who are faithful because they're busy with the master's work, the parable of the bridesmaids uh, about how God's call upon us can come and does come at any time, so we have to always be watchful, and the parable of the talents 
which reveals that we are all entrusted by God with talents and resources that God expects us to use according to our ability, for God's sake and not for ours. So in this episode, and in the next one also, we hear Jesus telling the parable of the sheep and goats. So in this episode, we ask, what does it look like to invest the gifts, talents, and resources which God has entrusted to us for God's sake and not our own? And to help answer that question, we have to remember two two key contextual pieces of Jesus telling this parable. First, we have to remember this is another apocalyptic parable. And in apocalyptic works, the writer or storyteller uses the possible endings to the story as commentary on the orientation of the present. The point is not to say that it's the fate of some to end up in one place and for others to end up in the other, but rather the point is to cause everyone who hears it to self-reflect and ask in which way am I currently oriented? Am I living this kind of life or am I living that kind of life? The tortoise and the hare, uh, a famous story that maybe um, many or all of us know from our childhood, is apocalyptic. The end is the commentary on the present. Slow and steady or overconfident and arrogant. Which kind of life will we live? In this parable, this apocalyptic parable, there are, again, two possible natural outcomes of the present orientation. If a life is not faithful, good, or true as God intends, that it naturally points towards citizenship in a place devoid of God and God's goodwill for creation, a place of lies, a place of malice and slander, as epitomized by the devil and the fires of the trash heap that burned outside the gates of the city in the Valley of Gehenna. But on the flip side, if a life is faithful, good, true, lived as God intends, then it naturally points towards citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, which is nowhere else other than right before our eyes. And we get into that more deeply in the next episode, uh, both the trash fires and the kingdom of heaven. The second thing we have to remember is that Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience. Matthew is making an appeal to the people of Israel to follow Jesus into this new way of being Israel, to leave that temple sacrificial system and its guilt and fear behind, to let those stones be crumbled, and to move into a new season of faithfulness as the people of Israel. And so this whole argument that Jesus is making in these chapters of Matthew is built upon the foundation of God's covenant promise to Israel that God would bless Israel in order that Israel would be God's means of blessing all the other nations of the earth. God would love and guide them so that they would love and guide the world to a place of restored peace and harmony. At Bible study on the Thursday night, uh, before considering this text together in worship, uh, Elder Mike Henry made the observation that in the literal translation of this parable from the Greek, It says that all the nations of the world will be gathered before the Son of Man who will separate them from one another. Them being the nations, not them being individual people. God is the subject. Separating is the predicate action, and it's the various nations that are the object. This parable is not about individuals being separated according to individual faithfulness or worthiness at the end, but about the faithfulness of whole nations and tribes in the present. This was originally, this parable 
was originally an invitation to Israel to reclaim their corporate identity as a nation blessed in order to be a blessing? Would they be one kind of people, which leads to life in the kingdom of God on earth? Or would they be another kind of people that makes them to be crude, as Christ kind of is in this parable, as valuable as a trash fire? But this can also be an invitation to us, to our tribe, to look beyond individual senses of righteousness and to reclaim our identity as the corporate people of God together, called as a body of people to be salt and light, to make the world around us better. This parable is not a warning to individuals to shape up or else someday they'll get bounced by Peter at the gates into the fires of eternity when they die. Because in an apocalyptic parable, it's not about the ending, but how the possible endings to the story cause us to reevaluate our life in the present. This parable is an invitation to our tribe, made up of many different people who fall into different places on different days on this spectrum between sinner and saint, to take stock of who we are as a people together, and whether or not together as a tribe, a congregation, an institution, a community organization, a people, are living in a faithful way that puts us on the path toward the kingdom. The practice of having sheep and goats together in a herd was very common in the agrarian culture of Jesus' time. And although there are some observations we might make about the sheepish and flockish ways of sheep, versus the wayward and independent ways of goats that might help us to find meeting here, it seems that Jesus' intention was to just call forth a common example of separation. He's not saying that goats are inherently bad or evil, or goats get a bad rap. It's, it's just an illustration. The apocalyptic ending associates the nations who gave food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, hospitality to the alien stranger, clothing to the naked, caring to the sick, and companionship to the imprisoned associates them with being placed on the right hand of the king. Uh, very common biblical image. Um, maybe, maybe an image we know today, with the one being at the right hand, being the one with the authority, the honor, the blessing granted by the king, the one in the center. This is the climax of the argument that Jesus is making, this bigger picture that he's painting. Faithful living isn't about what individuals do or what is done for individuals in the temple. Faithful living is about committing as a tribe, a connected people, to investing of what we have for God's sake rather than our own. It's about knowing that God's true interest is the restoration of equity and peace, bringing everyone back to a place of sustenance and flourishing. And therefore, knowing that God, uh, the cause of, of God, is the cause of caring for the poor. Because until the poor are met with enough compassion to help elevate them to a place of sustenance and flourishing, God's end is not yet met. Caring and elevating the poor will be synonymous with God's cause until that day when the kingdom is restored in fullness and all are flourishing and there are no more poor ones. So if we say we love God, that necessitates that we also love the poor. If we say that we love God but fail to love and help the least of our sisters and brothers, we have sadly and very tragically missed the point. 
that this is the ultimate expression of Christianity and really of humanity as God intended. Jesus said that we'll be known as his disciples by our love for others. And when Jesus asked Peter if Peter loved him, and Peter says, yes, of course I love you. Then Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. You love me, feed my sheep. John wrote that if we say we love God, but we hate our neighbor, then we are liars. This is the ultimate expression of the life that is eternal in nature, the life of self-sacrifice and self-giving for the sake of those who need to be elevated to wholeness, the poor, the hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, imprisoned, oppressed, overlooked, and the forgotten. This is what the life of Christ was all about. This is what the life of us, his followers, is to be all about. This is what actually puts us on God's right hand, living with authority and blessing of God in the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's never been about how many members or programs or dollars we have. It's never been about the ones who have all the right answers. It's always been about how we are living with intentional love for our neighbors most in need. Going to worship services, going to Bible and book studies, going to church lunches or dinners, even, even naming our hopes for the poor and the oppressed in times of silent prayer. These do not make us Christians, but prepare and equip us to be Christians by the living with love for the least of our sisters and brothers in the world around us. Our religious gatherings and rituals are not in and of themselves what God is calling us to do. Rather, they equip us to do what God is calling us to do. The love of neighbor, the poor neighbor, the hungry and thirsty neighbor, the neighbor who is not from this town or this country, the neighbor who is sick, the neighbor who is imprisoned, the neighbor who we may be tempted to judge and dismiss as unworthy if we are tempted to think too highly of ourselves. We worship God as the church, which does not simply mean that we gather to tell God how awesome God is or to ask God to do something for us. To worship is more of a whole life holistic thing. It's to defer to God's will for the world and to defer to God's will in our lives rather than our own will. As Paul wrote, our willingness to live as a living sacrifice for God's sake is our spiritual worship. We cannot worship and sing our way into God magically removing things like poverty and racism, which stand in the way of God's will of peace and human flourishing. We have to participate in that effort. As Pope Francis famously said, you pray for the hungry and then you feed them. That's how prayer works. In our life as a tribe of faith, we pray for the hungry and then we feed them. We pray for the thirsty and then we give them something to drink. We pray for the naked and then we clothe them. We pray for the alien, the stranger, the refugee, and then we welcome them with hospitality. We pray for the sick, the addicted, the anxious, and the depressed, and then we do whatever we can to encourage and support and help them. We pray for those who are kept away from God's will of flourishing because of the human structures of institutional racism and systemic poverty, and then we act intentionally to dismantle those systems. That's how prayer works. That's how Christianity works. That's how being a child of God works. As James wrote in his letter, 
We are to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. If a sister or brother is naked and lacks daily food and we pray for them and we wish them well, but we do nothing to meet their bodily needs, what good is that? Faith without works is dead, James wrote. If our religion is just about hearing, then we need to open our spirits for God to instigate some doing. So as we move forward into our future together as the tribe of the church, this congregation and the tribe of Christ all around the world, with a desire to serve God's will and not our own, and a watchfulness for God's fresh calling upon us, meeting us in the midst of our days, and a willingness to overcome our self-focused fears of losing that which God has entrusted to us. We can be, and we must be, those who stand up in the midst of this broken and difficult world in order to love the least among us. For if we don't, what good is our lifeless faith? What good is it to be a goat? What good is it to gain the whole world for ourselves but to lose our soul? We are meant to be sheep and salt and light. May God help us to be faithful sheep of his flock, to love the least among us and around us, such that the community around us comes to know not only that we are loving and kind, but also that we are invaluable in instigators of good, participating in God's goodwill for the well-being of all of our neighbors and not just ourselves, and helping the Upper Marion area to be a place where the kingdom blooms to life. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and may God bless your reflections and your prayers.